0: Dive into the message today. Uh, we're in a series, <clears throat> and I—I I love this series. This is something that was birthed out of a conversation with one of the graduates of the fellowship. We were talking about after Easter, what should we, what series should we have? And I was telling them about, hey, this is the series I'm thinking about, and they said, no, oh, Pastor, that, that doesn't really. I don't know if that's the series we ought to do, and. Uh, I said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And and really the crux of the conversation was we ought to answer the doubts and questions that people have coming back from Easter. You know, we've experienced Easter, the resurrection of God on the inside of us. We had 48 people give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time Easter Sunday. Amazing. And then we have people that come back but maybe don't go to church often. We ought to answer some of the questions That people have. And so I thought we'd take the next four to five weeks and really dive into answering questions that I think everybody has. And some of the challenge that even I had growing up in church was I wasn't sure that you could ask tough questions in church. Uh, You know, sometimes you feel like, well, you're just supposed to amen, and you're supposed to just, you know, believe in God and don't have questions, and if you have questions, did you ever feel like something's got to be wrong with me? Like, if I got a little bit of doubt, and I'm not real sure, and I thought in this series, you know, if you've been around life at all, you've had some disappointments. Anybody had disappointments? Anybody had some failures? Some things you thought were going to go one way, and they went a different way, and the older you get, what I have found is it can cause more questions. What you once believed, you now kind of doubt. You start to wonder and you start to try to say, Well, I, I don't even know about all of this. And is it true? And, and can I ask God tough questions? I love the fact that God is not scared of your questions. God's not scared of my questions. God's, he's not scared of atheists or agnostics or Muslims or Hindus or hedonists. He ain't scared. God ain't scared. He wants to answer the tough questions, and so I just thought we would come together over the next four or five weeks, and we would answer some tough questions that I really believe we all have, questions that I think plague us all, and today I want to talk about what do I do when I'm surrounded by darkness? What do I do when I'm surrounded by darkness? I mean, you know, in the church, it's kind of a dark title, and I really wrestled with it, and I thought, well... Am I surrounded by darkness? I mean, we're all surrounded by darkness. You can't even get away from it. It's invading your home through the internet, through cable. I mean, darkness is all around us. But how many know darkness can be around you, but you don't feel surrounded by it? But there are moments in our life where we feel surrounded. There are moments when it's like, I don't know how to escape. What do I do? And we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. 13 through 28 to answer the question, what do I do when I'm surrounded by darkness? This is a text where Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them a couple of questions. If you've been around church, you've probably read this story or at least heard it. He asks the disciples two questions uh, precisely. The first one is, who do men say that I am? This is Jesus. Who do men say that I am? But then the second question he asked his disciples is, who do you say that I am? And if you read the story, you know Peter, uh, the one who is usually making mistakes, the one who's usually not uh, doing the right thing, is the one that speaks up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, at this moment, that hadn't been revealed, so this is revelation, Uh, and so I thought, you know, we could talk about this story because really what it does is it exposes the area of darkness where the enemy wants to trap us. And look, we're going to dive in. I want to read the whole story. It's not a long story, but I want to read the whole thing. And then I'm going to pull out a few observations that I really believe is going to help us. It's found in three of the four gospels. The story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, we're going to dive into Matthew, and it's only seven verses. It says in verse 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? So he asked about what people thought, and then the question comes specifically to the disciples. He said, what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Now, isn't it interesting because they are disciples? Do we have any disciples in this place today? That even as a disciple, you have to define Jesus for yourself. It says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. But this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, In heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, I love the fact that it says the gates of hell will not overcome it. I I want you to know if you're a Christian, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. Jesus has already won the victory, He's already taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave, so we don't fight for it, we fight from it. He has already overcome the enemy. Can I get an amen? So look, I want to dive into the story. It's interesting. Jesus takes his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, the disciples are teenagers, and they are young adults. They are young men, and when you look at them, they're actually a ragtag group of teenagers and young adults, and they're learning from Jesus. So I love the fact that Jesus has a small group. Come on, he, he, he has the small groups. He got, he's got a group of people that he's living life with, and it's really a model for us. You ought to be learning from someone and teaching someone in your life. That's why we're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. 75 small groups happen every week because we follow the model of Jesus. So he's got his small group, and I, I love the fact that Jesus didn't pick a perfect group of guys. Like he didn't pick the cream of the crop of teenagers. If you've read the New Testament, you realize these guys were messed up. They had hurts. They had habits. They had hang-ups. They they didn't have it all together. In fact, one description of the disciples in the Bible is that they were idiotas. They were idiots. But the only thing that marked them was the fact that they had been with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope because sometimes I think I'm an idiot. And I'm like, praise God, all I got to do is spend time with Jesus and it makes it better. Because you can begin to think, well, look, you got it all together. When you look at the disciples, they were the rejects. The rabbis did not pick these disciples. They were fishermen. You only fished because you were not the best. Everybody wanted to be a rabbi's protege. They wanted to be someone that is an understudy. And so Jesus goes and gets a ragtag groups of teenagers. Can I get some teenagers to get excited about it this morning? Wow. Can I get some young adults? All right, thank you. And how about the adults that feel young? (laughs) Isn't it awesome that here we have Jesus just pulling a ragtag group of people? And he's teaching them. Young people, you got to do better. My teenagers, I'm going to give you shout-outs. I need a little bit more, though. So, so Do it again. All right, my teenagers. All right, there we go. They were sleeping on me. Got to wake up, got to wake up. But it's interesting in this story. Look, he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this would have been a shock to them. Uh, they were young, and Jesus takes them into a wicked city. Uh, This city was extremely wicked. It would have been comparable to Las Vegas, Sin City, uh, the Las Vegas Strip. Has anybody been out to the Las Vegas Strip? Hey. (laughs) What stays in Vegas or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? (laughs) Except this place would have been worse. Now, I went to Vegas. Phyllis and I, it was on her bucket list. Not mine because I'm too spiritual, but it was on her (laughs) bucket list. (laughs) We went last year, and uh, you know it was it was very interesting to go to that place. Went saw some shows, stayed at the MGM, and it it was a lot of fun. But on the Strip, how many know crazy things happen? Like you're like for real, like in broad daylight, like for real. You we're seeing this and that's really happening right there. Like I like I can see you. Can you tell we could see you? I mean, it's just crazy. This would have been worse. They worship pagan gods. They did ritual acts on the altars of worship that are unspeakable to us today. And so here we see Jesus taking these young teenagers and young adults into the heart of the darkness. Now, it wasn't an accident. You you could read it and say, well, he just kind of slipped up and he's going to tell them a story. It's 32 miles out of his way. That's where he went. It was intentional. It's the only time in the Bible that he ever even goes to this region. Jesus is making a point. He's going to go to the heart of darkness and tell the darkness, I am the light in the darkness. This place was so bad that the religious Jews and the rabbis, they said no good Jew would ever go to that place. No good Jew would ever go to that place. Well, we know Jesus was perfect. And I love the fact that Jesus is not scared of the darkness. He's not scared of your mess. He's not scared of the sin of this world. For too long, I wonder if the church has stayed safe and sound inside of our four walls instead of going into the darkness and being light to the world that is dying and needing hope. Jesus goes to that place. And we know why. Look, John 14 6 says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, He is the truth. He is the life, and he goes to the very heart of deception, the place where people have been deceived, and he illuminates the life that God has placed on the inside of him. Now, life is full of seasons. I mean, we have good seasons and bad seasons, right? I mean, how many have experienced them? It's, there's some seasons that are easy, and then there's some seasons that are hard. And I don't know about you, but I like the good seasons. Anybody can get an amen. It's nice to have a good season in your life when everything is going well. It's like the stars in heaven have aligned. I mean, it's not you're, you're communicating with your spouse, and you're getting through to one another. Your marriage is doing good. You're like, what? your kids are being respectful. They're saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And they're actually doing what you said to do. Come on. The, you, you got brothers and sisters, you're getting along and uh, your friends are not stabbing you in the back. I mean, you've got people that love you. And I mean, it's good. You, your job is doing well. In fact, you just got a raise. You know, life, life is good. Even your dog is acting right. You know what I mean? It's one of those like life is good. I, I like those seasons in our life, but you know it's interesting when we find ourselves in those seasons, we don't ask many questions. Right? You just live in life, you're like, Thank God, life is good. I got good vibes and fun times. Like, woo, it's awesome. Don't jinx it. Anybody ever been there? And then all of a sudden you have some bad times. Anybody ever had some rough times? It's like if anything could go wrong, it's gone wrong. All hell is breaking loose. Your marriage is falling apart. You can't talk to one another. Your kids are rebelling against you, they're slamming doors, they won't even talk to you. I know nobody's ever experienced any of that. Maybe your parents have disowned you, or your friend that you love has stabbed you in the back. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They broke up with you with no good reason. Your life seems to fall apart, and on top of that, you just got fired, and your dog got ran over. I, you know what I'm talking about. It's like if anything could go wrong... That's what's happening right now. Has anybody ever experienced that? I mean, we, we, we all have. And, but what, what I realize is that whether you're here this morning and this is where you're at, I want you to know there is hope. That God is the God of hope. And I've realized that if you're not walking through a situation like that, you will someday. Someday. Like, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Pastor, I wish you were more positive. I'm positive you're going to walk through some trials like that. I wish trials happened like one at a time. Can't you take like, like just one at a time, God? Don't let them all hit me, but that's not how it happens. Like when trials come, it's like they all come. And and life is hard, and you begin to lose hope, and you begin to feel hopeless, and it seems like that life is whipping you, and and, and maybe you find yourself going to cope, and it's one drink this night and two drinks the next night, and now you're addicted to that beer every single day just to calm your nerves, or the glass of wine, or the prescription pills. Maybe you now become addicted to that secret sin that nobody knows about, and you would be embarrassed and ashamed if anybody ever found out it's a place of darkness and what I found is in the place of darkness that's when we begin to ask questions it's not when things are going well right it's it's when all hell is breaking loose and we're like God where are you God, have you forsaken me? God, why am I going through this? God, what's, what's happening? And what will happen is we'll begin to allow the enemy to attack what we once believed to now we don't even believe. And now we begin to say, I don't even know if God is real. If he was real, he wouldn't let me walk through this alone. If he was real, my mom wouldn't have got cancer and died. If he was real, I wouldn't have gone through the struggle in my marriage. Like, Like, God, I don't even know where are you in the darkness. It's a place of great darkness. And I want you to know this. If you feel that way this morning, there is hope. We serve the God of hope. We serve the God that goes into the middle of our dark place and brings us hope. He's not afraid of the darkness. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your situation. And even though others might say it's taboo, don't go there. Don't talk to them. Don't associate with them. Jesus will go to the heart of the darkness. He's not afraid. And it's in this place of great darkness that he begins to ask his disciples questions. Look in verse 13. He asks the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do they say that I am? So he's asking them questions because questions reveal our true condition. I love the fact Jesus doesn't make a bunch of statements. He could have come in and said, this is who I am. I want you to know this. It's all information. And he's going to tell them, but that's not what he does. He begins by asking questions because questions cause us to discover truth. That it's in the questions that we have to answer it, not somebody's told us. And so he begins to ask them, listen, who do they say that I am? Who is it that public opinion has stated me to be. And look in verse 14, they reply Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. How many know everybody's got an opinion? Isn't it interesting? Everybody got an opinion about God. And and in that day, the disciples knew the hype. They knew their opinions. They knew what was being said. They weren't oblivious to it. So they told him popular opinion. They told him the view that people were saying. And I find it interesting here that the opinion of Jesus was not negative. It was positive. But I want you to know you can have a positive opinion and still have the wrong answer. You can still think good of God and of Jesus and still be deceived. Facts and trends are going to come and go, but truth will never change. We cannot allow popular opinion to change the fact and the truth of who God is. And so we see that here, and now he makes it personal. No longer, who do they say that I am? Now he's going to ask them. Look, he turns the question on verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Now, have you ever had someone ask you a bunch of questions just to get to the question? Like it's a setup, you ever had that happen? And then you, find, you realize, oh, you set me up. You set me up. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's asking them questions, and it's really just the primer for the question, the greatest question that not only the disciples had to define and answer, but we must define and answer for ourselves. Who do you say that I am? See, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where this answer, it leads us down the path of our life. This answer defines everything for us. This answer, the way we answer it, defines what we say. It defines what we do. It defines how we live. It defines what we do with our time and our talent and our treasure. It defines the very foundation of our life. The answer to this question drives us in our life. And what I've learned is if you don't define Jesus for yourself, the world will define him for you. And so here what we see, who do you say that I'm, define me in your life. Like, like I know what people have said, but I need you to define me for yourself. Now, I love this because he's asking a group of teenagers, Young men that are just teenagers and young adults, he's asking them to define him in their life. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Barna. Barna is a statistician, and his research has really defined us as a church to help us be more effective in reaching people. But according to Barna, 77% of the people that have a salvation experience, that confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 77% do so before the age of 21. 23%, 23%, that's it, only 23% that have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior do so after the age of 20, 21. So, so what I've learned in this, young people, look, if you'll define Jesus when you're young, he'll lead you when you're old. And so for us as a church, that's why young people, look, you're not an afterthought. You're not a program. You're not something we're just trying to get you to go over there and be quiet. You're not only the future, you are the now. That's why Maddie is 14 years old right now leading us in worship. We have 15-year-olds leading our pro presenter, running our cameras, doing all the things here at the church that adults would do because we believe that as a young person that you can define Jesus for yourself and when you do it, you're not going to stray when you're old. The days of telling young people, just be quiet and shut up and just sit down. This is an adult service. Those days are not here anymore. And so what do we do with Jesus? What is it that we define him as in our lives? And that's why parents, listen, I'm telling you, if I could plea anything to you, it'd be get them to our youth service on Wednesday nights. Every Wednesday night we have a small group at our Dream Center campus. Once a month we have our large service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock in the Dream Center campus. Get them to youth camp. Why? Because they need to define Jesus for themselves. Can't be better, amen, than that. Parents were pondering. I know that. Verse 16, look at this. So the question goes out to the disciples. Who do you say that him look at Simon Peter? He answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he speaks into existence what is already truth. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He would have been around in a town where there would have been idols of gods that were dead, gods that never existed. They were made of stone. And here he says, Jesus, you are alive. You are the son of the living God. And I love it. He doesn't say you might be I think you are, possibly, no, he says you, it's a definitive statement. He has an epiphany. Come on, NF. He has an epiphany that in this moment, his transformation has turned to revelation. He had the knowledge in his head, but now God's given him the revelation in his heart. See, you can know about God, but there's got to come a day when you know God. When you have defined him in your life, when it's in your head, you allow public opinion and circumstances and situations to lead you astray. But when you've experienced the revelation of who God is, nobody can ever tell you different. Look, I'll never forget, and I've told you this story, and really this is the only place I've ever shared my story. February 7, 2003, 1230 at night, God saves me. I'm high, I'm drunk, I'm in the bathroom. God's sovereign grace fills that room, and I am saved. I didn't go to church, I didn't answer an altar call. God walked into the bathroom. I wasn't looking for him, but he came looking for me. And I want you to know, I knew about God. But in that moment, revelation of who he was filled my heart. You can never tell me any different. You'll never be able to convince me God's not real. I might walk through hell and high water. I might go through good times and bad times. It might have popular opinion and positive opinion of him or negative. It doesn't matter. You'll never be able to define him for me because he has revealed himself to me. Revelation. It's an experience that we have. That's why I was telling you guys at Easter, Easter is not a service you attend. It's an experience. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is on the inside of us. And in this moment, he has divine revelation of who Jesus is. And if you don't have it, you you, you realize that the darkness around you will try to define the light within you. It'll tell you who Jesus is. Oh, you're walking there. He's not real. If he was real, you wouldn't have experienced what you've experienced. You wouldn't have walked down the road that you've walked down. Other people can begin to feed lies into you because you never had the true revelation of who he is. Peter didn't allow the opinion of others to change the revelation God gave him. Look at verse 17. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you. By flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So it's an amazing moment right now that that flesh and blood people didn't tell him. God reveals it to him. Everybody, I want you to know, everybody has to have your has to have your own encounter with God. Can't have your parents. Can't have someone else's. Like there's got to be a moment in your life that's defined because of your encounter with the living God. And so Peter has this, and what's happened is God's truth redefined his perspective. God's truth redefined his perspective. So he had a perspective of what people were saying. He's trying to figure it out. But now the truth of God has enlightened his heart, and now that has redefined his perspective. So he's had to reevaluate himself. He's had to reevaluate the answers of others. He's had to reexamine his life. He's now gone to the place to where he can get his answers from God. So I don't know about you, but have you guys been to the Dream Center campus Who's been to Dream Center? Isn't it awesome? If you have not been to our Dream Center campus, it's amazing. I just got to tell you, I'm so excited. I mean, I just, when I get up there, I'm like, this place is beautiful. This place is amazing. I cannot believe there was pink brick up there. And I mean, it's it's amazing to see what God has done. Uh, We're going to be launching Saturday night services out of there in September. We're going to, you know, when we get our permanent location, we'll have Sunday services there. It'll just continue to be our second location. And it's been amazing. Now, I'm a pastor, and I used to do some real estate. Real estate's great and buy and sell homes and rent them out. But I'm not a construction guy. You know, I'm having a hard time putting together the basketball goal that I got from Costco. Like, it's a challenge. It's still in a box, in pieces, I'm a failure. Like, it's just not working. Caden and I have been working on it for weeks. And so, I'm just not really a construction guy. There's other people that are a lot smarter than me, a lot brighter than me. And we've been doing a lot of construction. It's being rebuilt from the top to bottom, left to right. And really, everything is rebuilt. Even the studs have been changed and moved. And so, one of the things we've been working on now is plumbing. How many would like to have some good plumbing? It's going to (laughs) be, I want you to know, you want to have good plumbing. (laughs) It, it, we need to have toilets that flush, and so we found out it had clay pipes, redid all the plumbing, and guys, you'll be excited. We increased uh, the bathroom capacity by 33%, so it had two stalls, we're going to have three. Come on, somebody, guys, that's a big deal, guys, it's a big deal, Woo! and we're going to have urinals, I mean, it's awesome, like, guys, that's a big deal, and so here we are, we need plumbing, and um, I'm not a plumber at all, period, I just know how to flush, and lift the seat. <laughs> I've been trained. My wife trained me. Uh, <laughs> and so we're getting all these bids, and me and Pastor Brian are working to get all these bids. And one of the companies comes in, and he writes up all this, this jargon. You know, all I want is hot water, cold water, toilets, urinals, and stalls. Like, come on, somebody. That's all I need. That's well, when he sends it to me, this bid doesn't say really a whole lot about those words that I know. He's talking about flanges and peck pipes and flex hoses and all i'm like i have no you're speaking greek somebody don't have a clue what you said girls you're not alone there's somebody else that don't understand i hope i didn't lose cool points guys but i'm just telling you so pastor brian i i I get this bid and i'm like i don't have a clue what he's saying i you know i just know it's a lot i'm like good lord Uh, pastor brian hey can we make sure that they're doing the right thing because i just want hot water cold water Toilets and stalls, like that's that's all we want. He comes over and I'm thinking, Pastor Brian's got it. He's he's looks at it, he's like, man, I'm clueless. So now it's like the blind leading the blind. You know what I'm saying? I asked him, and I said, well, we got to call the plumbers. Like you got to get the plumber out here because. as they said, well, he sent an email and they said, well, it's all that you asked for. I said, no, 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 I need to talk to someone face to face. I need an expert if I'm going to get the answers. And so lo and behold, they come out. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know it says this, but you said toilets. This is, this is what that is and talks about it. And so we went to the expert for the answers. That's the same way it is in our life. Like when we got questions, we got to go to the source to get the answers. Yeah, and, and that's where we've got to allow God's truth. To redefine our perspective See see, it's one thing And just like me going to Pastor Brian It's like the blind leading the blind We ain't got a clue He could have said Oh yeah Yeah This is exactly what it is And we'd have been like Okay But but how, how anybody got a friend like that They ain't got a clue What they're talking about But they're going to give you advice Like their marriage is falling apart And they're going to tell you About how to fix yours And their kids is falling Going crazy And they're going to tell you What's wrong with yours And I mean, You know what I mean And look at it. We go to the world all the time. Tell me about God. And they are lost. They are hopeless. They're chasing other religions, looking for truth. And we go over there and it's the blind leading the blind. And so what we've got to say is, God, you are the God of heaven. You are the God of earth. You created me in your image. And though I may not know everything, I've got to go back to the source to get the answers for the questions that I have. That's why you got to be in church. That's why you got to get around people that are, look, we ain't got all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Sometimes i got more questions than answers, but I do know this. I've been hanging out with Jesus. I know life is dark, and I'm going through seasons that are tough. I, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. If we will hang out with Jesus in the dark places, he's going to illuminate the light in our life. Gotta let God redefine our perspective. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can ask questions, but that's why we got to go to the Bible. That's why we're looking at this passage. Like, it's not just my opinion. I'm sorry, I'm not a motivational speaker, I'm not a self-help person. It, it's the only thing that I can get up and talk about is the power of the Word of God. I'm a pastor. I'm a guide, and and truthfully, this ought to be just a conversation. You ought to go back to the verse and say, hmm, that was good. I don't know if I believe it. I'm going to go look myself. I'm a guide. What are we doing? We're on a spiritual journey. I think there's questions we're going to have for the rest of our lives. I think there are questions we're going to have stepping into eternity, and we're going to say, all right, God, I got my list of questions. That's okay, because what I have learned is this hanging out with the right people will lead you to the right place. when you look at this look, all the disciples were looking for truth all the disciples were hanging out with Jesus they were fishermen, tax collectors they really were not the best of the best they were not the brightest of the brightest. and again I get so much comfort but the one thing I do know is that they were all searching with Jesus and here in this verse what we see, Peter is the one that the Father reveals this truth to. So Peter declares the truth, but the other disciples are still searching. And I love this, and and I'm gonna say it, it may shock some of you, and I hope it does. You can live on someone else's revelation. Well, Pastor, I don't know, for a little while. Like, it's okay that you didn't get it yourself. Like, think about the disciples. They didn't get that. God didn't download it to them. But think about this. Now they begin to ponder, oh, this is, oh, 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 this, this is the son of God. Oh, so then what happens is the truth begins to permeate their heart, but they ultimately had to make a decision. And we know that they did. Why? Because every one of them, except for John, gave their life for the gospel and Judas who killed himself. So what does that mean? If they were willing to die, it's because they had the truth to live. See, some of us, some of us, what happens is we're not willing to die in our lives because we've never embraced the truth. What do you mean I got to die physically? No, no, no. But I'm asking, have you died to yourself emotionally and relationally and just said, God, I'm not going to do the things I used to do. And God, I'm not going to hang out with the people. See, when we live that kind of a life, it's only because of the truth of God that's been revealed that we've embraced the revelation. And that's why I say, look, I love the fact that hundreds of lost people come to our church every week. We had 11 people give their life to Jesus Christ, just the last service, just the last service. I love it. We have Muslims that come to our church. We have Hindus that have walked through the door. And said, I'm just looking for truth. I'm just, I, I, I don't know. I was drawn here. Somebody invited me. We have, we have atheists that sit in these seats. And if you're that, I want you to know God's not scared and neither are we. And here's something that, that, that I find so interesting. You know, when you look at the story, Jesus led the disciples into the place of great darkness. So, and this will mess up your theology a little bit, right? Some of you're walking through hell and high water, and you're like, devil. Some of it's your bad choices. And I wonder if some of it God hadn't allowed so that you would be faced with the question and the reality of who is God in your life? Who have you defined Him to be? See, you're not promised hope and well, you promised hope happiness. Wealth, the good life, the American dream. God never said you're going to get saved, you're going to have the American dream. Tell that to the Christians who die every day for their faith. You know what he did promise you? Hope, when you feel hopeless. Peace that passes all understanding, love that transcends situations. See, see that's, the, that's what we're promised, that in the midst of it, God, that I might be in the dark place. What do I do when I am surrounded by darkness? When I don't know what to do, what do I do? This is what I'd say. Get around the right people that will begin to take you down the right path that then will illuminate the light of God in your life. You've got to get around the right people. That's why you've got to come to church. I, I, love the, I love this place. I love it. See, I, and I'm going to say something, too, that might offend some of the religious, and if it does... I'm not really sorry. So, I don't even care if you went out to the club last night. I don't care if you're high this morning and you're sitting in this place, you just got to hide just to cope if you're, if you're drunk. See, for when, when did we say the church was a place for perfect people? When did we say that you got to, like... If that's you, I want you to know you're in the right place. You came to the right church. The fact that you're in this place right now, you're sitting here tells me you're down the right path because I do know this, that those answers that you've been looking for, the thing you've been trying to cope with will never feel the God-shaped hole in your heart. But you found a place in this church. You found a God that is real, that brought you to this place. No matter what you did, his love is so great. He loves you. It's that unconditional, right? I mean, that's what saved me. That's where this church, we have to say, God, we thank you. That this is a place, the church is not a place of perfect people. It's a hospital for the hurting and the hopeless. We've all just gotten a little bit of help. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. But can I tell you, I got a long way to go. I still have hurts. I still have habits. I still have hangups. I still make mistakes. And thank God that He hadn't left me there and that we got a church full of people that say, God, even though you lead us into the darkness, it's because you're exposing the light that we're to call out to. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for defining who you are in my life. I just want you to know, man, if if that's you today, you're in the middle of the darkness, you're not gonna stay there. You're in the right place. Get around people. Join a small group. Go to next steps. Serve on the dream team. I, I know people say, well, I thought that dream team was full of perfect people. No, they're, they're like you. They're like me. We just chose not to stay in our mess. I, mean, I to tell you, I mean, you dream teamers, you know what I mean. There's Sundays you get up here, you'd fought like the dickens with your wife and your kids, everybody else, and you put on your smile, and that's okay. I want you to know that's okay. Why? Because you're walking through the darkness. I'll stay there. It's all right. But how many know it better not be every Sunday? Come on, somebody. Like, I need a little bit of relief, God. Help me. You know, a funny story. We, we have devotions with my kids, 615 to 645 every morning, Monday through Friday. And someone asked me and said, you know, I used to pray at the church from 6 to 7 with a group, the fellowship. And it was so funny. Uh, I did that last year, but my kids are now in public school. And so I said, hey, we're going to start the day off right I mean, it sounds amazing, right? I mean, it's, woo, Jesus, 615. I mean, it sometimes it's like World War II, they're hollering and screaming, get in here. <gasps> we can barely even get through the prayer. <laughs> What's my point? I don't know, but I want you to feel normal. I don't know. I just want you to feel normal. It sounds wonderful, like life sounds wonderful. I'm a Christian, and it's all amazing. Oh, uh, well, about 20%. <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. That's what I love about this series. It is okay to doubt. It's okay to not know what to do. And, you know, next week, I literally had five pages I had to get out of this message. And, and next week, it just it leads us back to this, God, I believe in you, but I don't know who I am what's my identity? We're going to tackle that next week just because if we don't know who we are, we'll morph into whatever the world wants us to be, what we think God wants us to be. And we've got to say, God, this is how you made me. How do I figure it out? What, what do I do? And it's going to be an amazing week. And Father, I just thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for such an amazing body of believers that God, you just bring us together and We're not going to act like we have it all together, but we are going to continue to move forward in our journey together. And Lord, I thank you that you're not afraid of questions. And I I just believe people came this morning, I think they feel relieved that it's okay to not have it all together. Sometimes, God, we get into darkness because we're idiotos. (laughs) And then there's sometimes I, I think you just lead us there. Not to leave us, but God, so that we would define you in the storm. Lord, I'm asking if there's anybody here today that feel overwhelmed or hopeless or... God, would you help them in the middle of this? Would you give them the ability to get around people that love them unconditionally, that will love them regardless of their circumstance? And God, even... That person that's here right now, that when I was talking about clubs and all that, they say that's me, I just, I made it here. God, would you touch them right now? Your presence, your power in this place. God, I'm asking you, Lord, every Sunday, let people find their way in this place that feel loved and embraced and accepted. That then we know even for ourselves that it wasn't works that saved us, it was the unconditional love of you, the Father, God, I'm asking you, just help us to live out this life as hard as it can be sometimes, as challenging as it can be. God, I'm asking you to help us in our storm. Some marriages that are hurting, God, would you help them? Families that are falling apart, God, would you help them? God, finances that seem to have gone awry, God, would you just help them? Lord, that we would help others in their journey. That love them unconditionally. We love you. We bless you. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. In this moment, I feel the presence of God. And Some of you have never defined Jesus for yourself. You've heard about him, what others have said. But now is your moment. This is the truth of the gospel. This is where we come to that defining moment where the question is not about what others say, but what do you say? Who is he. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this is a moment of decision. Some of you have never made him your Lord and Savior. You've never invited him to take control of your life, to wipe away your sin and to give you a fresh start. I wonder if in this moment that you, you say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to him. I want to give him everything heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But I am going to ask you just to raise your hand in an act of surrender. You say, that's me. Right now, I surrender my life to him in this moment. Just lift your hand up high. I surrender my life to him in this moment. Father, we thank you. See your hands all over this place. Jesus, come on church, tell them how proud you are. This is what we're going to do. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And church, if we could just pray it together. Say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender everything to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Right now, I give you everything. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you my future. I give it all to you. Jesus' name. Come on church tell them how proud you are.